We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am Catherine Zox, and I am your social worker with a microphone. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning. Lauren Beller and Catherine Zox. Lauren is my co-host, and as I understand it, Lauren, you didn't tell me, but of course I had to find out from someone else. You are on the road. How are you this morning? Crazy. I'm good. I had change of plans, so I'm doing what I'm heading to Dallas. You know, I think we should start a show. Where in the world is Catherine, and where in the world is Warren? I think that's a great idea. Where in the who did that? Where in the world is oh Matt Lauer? Matt Lauer, right? <laughs> you know, because Warren, I go where he goes. I watch that show every year. I can't get every place in, but I try to get half of them in anyway. You do a really good job, Catherine. Thank you. Uh, uh, that's what I need. You know, when you say I do a really good job, we do a really good job on the show, but, you know, I was looking up a lot of the different women's shows, and there are a lot of radio shows now that have to do with women and women's issues. What makes us different? Women different? Yeah, well, our show different. we got to make, you know. Oh, 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 the show. Yeah, what makes us different? I mean, i got a lot of new stuff I want to talk to you about. Uh, here's one, okay? Uh, I... There is a new, and it's an online company. I just got this uh, on my uh, computer, on my on the internet, right? I get all this stuff every day. People sending me stuff about interviewing somebody or new information about women's issues and stuff like that. Here is one. I, that really, we got to have this gal on our show because she started this company, Single Edition, and it's called Single. You can go to singleedition.com. What is it? Good. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What is it? What is it? Well, this is a really interesting new lifestyle destination, and it's all about single living. It talks about how because people, more people living singly than ever before. We're not just talking about young people, but people up into you know, old people. You know, every generation, all four generations. Single living content includes news, events single person's perspectives on travel, finance, relationships, careers. Well, I like it. She's on to something. Isn't she on to something? I think it's Absolutely. very... Well, Lauren, she says celebrating singlehood, whether they're 25 or 65. Gone are the days when single equals desperate or sad. I agree with that. Uh, bachelors by choice, solo parents. And she markets all this stuff to singles, uh, why marketers are see this demographic, and they're also marketing to singles. So uh, I think this looks, this is a very cool website. I'm going to, we can interview her. That sounds like, and she's right up your alley. Since you, I mean, that's your, you're about being independent and doing your thing. And, and semi-single. And what? Semi-single. Semi-single. That's another category. There's semi-single, monogamous relationship, don't live together, lots of different ways to kind of do this single thing. A kind of hey, semi-single.com is a good one. Yeah, how about that one? Okay, so you're on the road. You're going to Dallas. Why? E-Women Network is having their national conference, and I was supposed to leave last night, and I decided not to. So, okay, so you're just, is that today? Does it start today? today, and I just thought, might as well have one more night in my own bed before I'm off and running, and I, it was rushing it, so 
why not? I said, I don't need to rush it. I'll just leave in the morning. So Catherine, Catherine will work with me by car. She'll be okay. Doesn't make any difference. Doesn't matter where you are. As long as I have my good headset on and my cell phone antenna up, you know, I'm in, it's, it's a direct route, so we're, we have good coverage. So how are you doing? How am I doing? Jeez, Catherine, I am, I don't think I've ever been so, like, you know how I work on my goals every year and I do that with my clients? Yes. And I, there's eight areas in our lives that I always talk about with clients, and I think for the first time in a really long time, all eight areas of my life are discombobulated. And, all right, <laughs> everything is not working. Uh, why? Why are they discombobulated? What brought you to this point? Overload too much in each area and you don't have enough time or energy? Or let's be specific. Because people Normally, will... Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Normally for me, I'm in charge of change. And all of a sudden in the past couple of weeks, I'm no longer in charge of the change. Like things are coming to me. My husband says, oh, I'm interviewing for this job in California. And, you know, I'm, he's always, I've always told him, I, I'll go anywhere. It doesn't really matter where I live, you know, relatively speaking. So he's telling me he's applying for a job next week that is, you know, total change. And then I have this weird health stuff happening that, you know, has me go, what's going on with my body, you know? So when you're not in charge of your change, it's more challenging. And I just, I think it's important to acknowledge that. And I think it's really scary, too. I know that I feel that way. Well, let's take the first thing you you know, you say to your, like you say to your husband, I mean, you say to Rob, I can go anywhere, but in reality, I mean, underneath that bubble is, I can't really go anywhere. And now when I'm really faced with it, it's like, I have a job. Also, I think because you have a child and things become a little bit more, less, um, they become less, well, what's the word? It's kind of like you have You're less nimble. I think I'm just less nimble. Flexible. Yeah, and I, you know, it's interesting because she's not at school age, so we could go anywhere. I mean, really, technically, we could go anywhere, but it's a, it's disruptive. You know, it's it's disru- disruptive. yeah, you establish yourself. You're in a community. You know, maybe she doesn't go to school full time, but you know, you do that mommy and me stuff. I mean, you have a certain kind of support group amongst other women, all of those kinds of things, and then thinking of moving someplace else and not moving because you want to move. Exactly. It's a lot. So, I mean, it's not a done deal, but I'm just saying you asked how I was. That's the truth. And I think so many people are faced with their changes put upon them, and we have to decide how to react to it. So, you know, I'm doing actually really well. I am well. And and there's always things in the back of my mind of, oh, how am I going to respond to that? What's my... But how am I going to consciously respond to that so that I'm conscious versus unconscious? Because then you get miserable. Well, I think, Lauren, that also, and, I, and this is how I am, I feel like I, and I think a lot of people today, we all feel that we're in control of our lives and that we have total control and we don't. And I think the health no. thing in particular, when that happens to me or to any of my kids, I get ter- I get terrified. I get frightened. Now, I mean, I don't have control over this. What's, you know, my body is doing stuff that I don't want it to do. I'm scared. Uh, and I just want this to be done with, and I don't want to waste the energy and, you know, fixing it up, whatever the problem is. And that stuff is really scary, that whole loss of control, feeling that you're losing control. And having goals gives us more a sense of control to a certain extent. And it's interesting. To, I'm realizing as I'm looking at my goals for the year now that it's July of, wow, you know, some of these I have no control over. Will they be complete or not? Because we can't, you know, so you do the best you can. You put out the intention. and Keep smiling. <laughs> but one thing you said was you have to acknowledge it first, and I think a lot of people, that's one of the issues, one of the problems, that when we have something that we feel out of control, we don't want to acknowledge it and say, oh, this is the way it is, 
this is what I have to deal with even though I don't want to. But if you don't do that, then you can't really go on and take and make good choices about whatever your problem happens to be. I agree with you. And also I think that we're, you end up not dealing with it, as, as I like to say, consciously so that you end up sometimes sabotaging the situation and making it worse. And I think that when we deal with it head on, that feels so much better than ignoring it and avoiding it. It, uh, yeah, exactly. But that, I think maybe the first, well, that whole thing of denial, when you don't like something, when you feel uncomfortable, when you feel at a loss, denial is the first step. But then you have to, I mean, and there are different stages to get past the denial so that there is acceptance and then you can go on and do something about it, whatever that happens to be. Exactly. So, all right, so everything's out of whack. Fine, okay, just give in to it. Everything is ever, all, all you can do. Yeah, everything is out of whack. I feel that way. I mean, I... um <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what's helpful, though? When I feel out of whack or I feel depressed or I feel like things are, like, really ho- just getting to me, and this is what I just did. I was feeling kind of that way yesterday because I had a lot of stuff happening in my life. So what I had to do was, you know, some of the things, like, I had visited a lot of people. I needed to write thank you notes. I needed to send and uh thank you notes and, and presents to people and graduation gifts. And I didn't want to do all that stuff. But I found that by doing that stuff, it was comforting to me because that was the little stuff that usually is bothersome, but because I had these other bigger issues I was concerned about and scared about and didn't want to deal with, taking a half an hour and going online and ordering gifts and writing thank you notes was kind of like therapy. It was fine because it was something easy. It was something that could be completed. It was nothing that had really this, uh, you know, not emotionally charged. That works. It does. It also feels like you're productive. So once again, back in control. Yeah, it's like ironing, you know, like when you're when something goes wrong, ironing. ironing at 12 o'clock at night or doing the laundry or doing something that's just very simple that you can complete, it's done, and you don't have to think about all the other really scary stuff. Yeah, and then you look good. When you iron your stuff, it looks so good, doesn't it? Yeah, I haven't done that in a while. I, I don't either. Actually, I said it. I send it to the dry cleaner. Yeah, we're both not telling the truth. Okay. <laughs> here's a book for you. You want to feel good? You want a feel good book, Lauren? Practic- Here. uh, here's one for you. When you get back from the E Network, E-Women Network, yeah. E Women Network Conference, which, by the way, there are thousands of people, I guess, at that thing for women. Yes, three or four thousand, I think, this year. Huge, huge, huge. This is the decade of the, uh, for decade of the women. Anyway, Practically Posh. The Smart Girl's Guide to a Glam Life, Robin Marino. Now, Robin Marino, is she has a glam life. She's a writer and editor at Women's Day, and she's always on the Today Show, the early show. She's one of those people who is a lifestyle expert for InStyle Magazine, and she wrote this book, Practically Posh, The Smart Girl's Guide to a Glam Life. And it is great because what it does is it takes you through every area of your life, of your non-glamorous life, and helps you to make it glamorous. From love that. I need that. I know you do. That's why I'm recommending <laughs> this book. And if there's a Borders or if there's one of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the other big store anyway, near you? The Noble. Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble. Go in. I think this book is like one of their, they're promoting it this month because it just came out. Nesting in the kitchen, hip hosting, working at Smart Style, Budget Beauty, Poised and Culture, Get Packing, Do Good. She's got the whole list there. And she's got these, and I thought when I read it, oh, I know most of this stuff because I'm pretty, you know, I'm just posh myself. Pop. But yes. <laughs> I think I'm posh. I don't All care. Posh. <laughs> Practically posh. But I learned a lot from this book. And, of course, you know the travel thing. You said we should have a travel thing. Where in the world is 
Lauren, where in the world is Catherine, but she has these great websites for everything that she talks about in the book about how to be posh and do it on a, not a limited, limited budget, but so that you're not spending a fortune. But here's a website that I thought people may be interested in. She means, like, if you decide to go traveling and you want to be very spontaneous about it, you may be able to get cheap tickets at the last minute. And she had these great websites for fantastic last-minute deals. Listen to this one. Maybe you've heard of some of them. Now, kayak.com, I know. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, okay. Kayak, Expedia, Travelocity. How about site59.com? Haven't heard of that. No. Site59.com, fantastic last-minute deals. 11thHour.com. Cool. Yeah. I know you're driving or whatever you're doing, so don't start writing this stuff down. But just get the book. I'm going to go get the book. Yeah, absolutely. LastMinuteTravel.com, Sidestep.com. I'm just reading the ones that I think that, that you or most of you know most people haven't heard of because some of them you have, but half of them I hadn't. Mobissimo.com. What's that one? Say it again. Mobissimo. Mobissimo. Mobissimo, like mobile except Isimo. Great. <laughs> Got it. Mobility, yeah. So, I, and she goes, and every chapter when she's talking, you know, like uh, places to visit, like if you can't afford to go to Paris, where do you go instead? Go to Montreal. It's like a little Paris, but you get the same flavor, the food, the ambiance, the art, the music, all those kinds of things. I like it. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and I, a little more posh, you know? A little more posh. Everybody likes that? Everybody does. It's called Practically Posh, and it's Robin Marino. We've got like 30 seconds left because we have a guest coming up in this next half, in this half hour, not the next half hour, Ellen or Elin. I have to ask her how to pronounce the name, Hildebrand, and she is the author of A Summer Affair, which great book. I've been reading that. That's a, an upper. It's a, it's a great 30 seconds left. We're going to say goodbye for the moment. Don't go away. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Beller, and as I said, we got Elin Hildebrand coming up next. She's the New York Times best-selling author of A Summer Affair. You're listening to Voice America Women's Network. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Are the days passing by faster than you can believe? Do your kids, job, pets, family, errands, and life demands leave no time left for you? Listen to Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum each week. You can have it all, balance it, and truly enjoy your life. Be ready to have fun, laugh, and learn from celebrities and everyday heroes. We don't need an entire life overhaul, just a little bit of tweaking for our lives to be what we want. Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum, every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Women's Network. Your life is waiting for you. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? If you did the unexpected? Would you feel scared? Proud? Relieved? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Or assisting an entrepreneur in Ukraine to launch her small business? creating a support group in Malawi for children orphaned by AIDS. 
What if you established your own path? One that others might follow. Would you rather make your own way? Or spend your life saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580. Or go to peacecorps.gov. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion. And we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio. Voice America Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Catherine Sock Show. If you're just joining us, I'm Catherine Sock on Voice America Women's Network. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm your social worker with the microphone, and my co-host is Lauren Beller. And just as I promised in the beginning of the show, we're going to be interviewing Ellen Hildebrand. She's author of A Summer Affair, and Ellen is the New York Times bestselling author of the 2007 novel Barefoot, which was named one of Red Book Magazine's 2007 Summer Best Books, which I think this book is going to be named, too, for 2008, at least to have my vote. And <laughs> Ellen lives with her husband and three children in on Nantucket Island. Um, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Ellen. Thank you, Catherine. I knew you lived in, on, in Nantucket because they gave me the uh, backup number for to call you. It's 508. And I'm That's doing right. my show from a studio in Provincetown, and we have the same area code. Oh, how funny is that? Excellent. Yeah, and after reading your book, I decided my boyfriend and I, my partner, we're going to take a, I don't know whether we're going to take a boat ride or fly over on uh, <laughs> to, to Nantucket and spend the day or maybe even go overnight. I don't know. It's a great idea. Yeah. All right, so your book. Your book is like one of sitting on the beach, obviously. I'm, I'm in the perfect place to be reading this book, I have to tell you, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, do do you want to start out and give us, you know, the, the, just give us like a little overview of what the book is, or should I? Sure. No, I'll do it. Um, Summer Affair is about um, a woman named Claire Danner Crispin, and she is the mother of four children. She's also an acclaimed glass blower artisan, and um, she agrees to take on a rather unwieldy commitment of chairing a summer benefit concert, and. Um, after she does so, she falls madly in love with the executive director of the charity and starts having an affair, and her life, her very, very busy full life sort of slowly starts to unravel. Okay, how much of this is related to your own life? <laughs> <laughs> That's everybody's first question. I know. Um, the, answer, the answer is, you know, twofold. First of all, my life also, the, the, the thing I enjoyed most about writing this book was writing about Claire's very busy life and, like, my favorite scenes are where she's trying to get her kids fed breakfast and get them to school because, of course, you know, 90% of my time is spent trying to get my kids fed and out the door. 
Um, and I think a lot of mothers will appreciate sort of Absolutely. I mean, my kids are, and I say this probably every show, my kids are in their 20s, but when I'm reading this book, that's a, 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 three boys, a daunting task. I will never forget it, even though it was 20 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I really appreciate it, Renny. So those details are very, very close to home and very, very true. Um, and then, the uh, you know, the other thing that's true is that I have chaired now five events in five summers. So I sit on three boards of directors here on Nantucket, and um, I've sort of become an expert at running these big charity events. Um, I did one for the Nantucket Boys and Girls Club for three years, which was a concert very like the one that I describe in the book. So those elements are true. Um, and then what I did was, out of my character, um, I explored, you know, this infidelity. And the infidelity comes out of the fact that Claire, you know, gives, gives, gives to her kids and to her husband and to everybody else, and she takes nothing for herself. And when she has these feelings for this man, um, you know, she follows them right or wrong. And, you know, it ends up, well, I'm not going to say how it ends up, but anyway, you follow her for the ride, and um, I think a lot of women can appreciate, if not her actions, and at least her desires. Her desires, exactly. And that's what I mean. Probably half the women who are listening have actually played it out. But most, I mean, if you really admit it, just what you're saying, Ellen, I mean, and you're describing your your family, and you've got this great life, and you do all these great things, but there's always that man. I mean, think about it. You have to sleep with the same guy for 40 years. I mean, and yeah, exactly. there are... <laughs> And so, also, you know, the, and all the things that go along with, you know, having a husband, which is that, you know, you're doing his laundry and, you know, cooking the food and going to the grocery store and all this other stuff. And it's like, well, who's going to take care of me? And, it, you know, I think what Claire finds is she's like, okay, you know, she, she finds a man who you know, intrigues her and challenges her and her, who most importantly appreciates her work in a way that her husband doesn't. And she becomes enthralled with this attention and loves it and, and, and pursues it. And why not? He was a billionaire. Also, I mean, he's everybody's fantasy. Yes. He's every woman's fantasy. He's this terrific guy. But let's talk about the husband because you know, I kind of like he was a, a, some not a sad character, but I really kind of empathized with him. I mean, it's right. you know, it's very difficult. Well, they, you know, you're talking, you know, their sex life wasn't terrible. That could be a heroine Claire's sex life and her husband. Uh, Jason, but it gets routinized and routine, and 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 how do you keep from doing that and looking around and then you know there's this wonderful billionaire man that you're on this committee with. How do you keep yourself from perhaps not acting on that fantasy? Have I asked you three questions? I don't know. No, right. Well, I under, I mean I understand what you're saying. In Claire's case, I mean I think Lockdixon is the name of the, of the man, and I think um, you know, what he brings to the table, most importantly for Claire, is the fact that he appreciates her glass blowing, whereas her husband has basically asked her not to do it. So we are all women, and, and we have careers, some of us, and we have passions, and it's kind of a no-brainer if your husband is sort of quashing you know, your passion and the thing that means the most to you, you as a person, um, and then you find somebody who really appreciates it and encourages you, um, you know, there's a temptation. It's like, a, you know, in Claire's mind, it's a no-brainer. She falls in love with this man because he understands her sort of on a different level from her husband. And um, Or he's she, seeing her at a different – I saw it as like he's seeing her at a different stage of her life. Didn't her husband, who is a carpenter, carpenter. or in that construction yeah. business, didn't he build her her – what is it, the hot house? That's what they right, the hot shop, yes, he hot did. Shop. That's right. Didn't he build that for her in the first place? He did. He did. He did. He did build it for her in the first place. But then, um, and I think he enjoyed building it for her, and he liked the fact that she was making money from her from her art. But then, you know, family took over, and he, re, you know, Jason is really a family guy, and he, you know, sort of the traditional, um, you know, values come out, and he wants her at home with the kids, and he and he doesn't want her, 
you know, as he perceives, you know, leaving them behind for her hot chop. So, yeah, that's where the difference comes out. Yeah, they have different priorities, her lover and her husband, and both of them you can understand. And right. You also talk about Claire as in terms of her emotional boundaries, her not being able to separate herself from, you know, she feels she, she comes from a very strong Catholic background, so she gets she feels guilty about everything, not about everything, but she seems to take responsibility even for other people's behavior and feels guilty about it. That's right. And she can't say no. So how many of us have that problem? I do. I do, too. I think women, why do we have that problem? I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I you know, mean, the question is, are we socialized as women to just say, yes, I'll take care of it, yes, I'll take care of it, yes, I'll take care of it. I don't know. I feel like in some senses, you know, you know, Claire, one of the reasons why she has this affair in some sense is that she can't say no. However, in this case, really the person she's not saying no to is herself. But we can't say no. I think part of it, maybe we're just programmed. It's kind of like that biological imperative, Ellen, that like because we have children. I mean, you really can't say no to your children. You can't put them off. If you have two or three or four kids, if they want to eat or sleep or do whatever they need to do, you need to be there. So we kind of right. generalize that to other relationships, or uh, I think that's part of it. That's right. I mean, you definitely get into – I mean, I know, like, I have three that are eight, that are eight and two, and you get into moving mode, you know. And, and the amazing thing, if I actually – stop and listen to what's going on in my house is the constant sheer number of questions I'm being asked or needs I'm being required to fulfill in, in the space of, say, 10 minutes. I mean, it's, it's, it's infinite. Oh, it never stops. It never stops. And what I used to do sometimes with the boys, and I had help, like the, like Claire in the book, she had an au pair. I always yeah. had an au pair. I had other people, and they would say, well, you have help. doesn't matter if you have three kids. There's always something for at least three or always. four adults, right, to do. Always. Yeah, always. so Absolutely I would lock right. myself in the bathroom and say, boys, oh I have to just go. I can't. You have to leave me alone for just, you know, give me ten minutes. And right. not a great solution. But whatever <laughs> works. <laughs> Well, it works for the moment, right? But let's get back to the, I don't know if this is the bigger question, but, like, because, you know, this the, the book is about Claire and having her affair, and um, how do you, like, as a woman, not get tempted by this and really act on having an affair? Because I think most women do feel that way, given the right kind of situation and being in the house with three kids, two kids, even one kid. Right. In my case, I mean, you know, at some point, I think, Catherine, you find it's a self-esteem issue, right? So... The question is, how do you feel your how do you feel your self esteem, and how do you feel good about yourself without having another outside person telling you, you know? And I think, you know, in my case anyway, you know, there's no reason to stray from my marriage. First of all, because my marriage provides me with a lot of um, stimulus, and my husband is is a wonderful, wonderful man. But also because I don't require, I'm not needy because I have a lot of self confidence myself. So, so expectation, no and get. I think that's, yeah, Ellen, that's a really good point because expectation, ladies, you can't expect that this person that you're married to is going to provide you with all the accolades that you need, all of the support that you need. You can get it, without having an affair, you can get it from someplace else and build your own self-esteem, either through work or whatever it is that works for you. Right. I mean, it's all about personal fulfillment, so you just have to get fulfillment that maybe you're not getting your marriage anymore, but you have to, you know, provide it for yourself. And that has been a long, hard lesson for me and for, you know, a lot of my friends that I'm, that I'm watching. It's like, you know, it's, it's a hard struggle, especially with little kids, and you just feel like your own personhood is being sort of sapped. And so the important thing is to keep up without 
Yeah. One of the things in the book that I identified with, I remember, like, you know, you have the three babies or toddlers clinging to you all day, and then your husband comes home and wants to have sex, and it's like, oh, I don't yeah. want anybody else touching me. I can't. Right. I want. I need to be separate. This body needs to belong to me. And, and right. you, yeah. That was clear. Yeah, I definitely, I think I can. Yes, I definitely think women feel that way, and and uh, and I don't know if the men get it or not. I no, they don't, and they never will. But maybe that's it. Yeah, exactly. And so I think in Claire's case, you know, she want, you know, she goes after this affair because it gives her so many things that are missing from her life, um, and then of course it gives her something to feel. She does feel incredibly, incredibly guilty about it, and that sort of you know becomes the crux of of, of the novel. Is you know, well, what is she going to do? What is she going to do? We're not going to tell anybody what she's going to do. You need to go and get the book. It's a great book, a great summer read, a winter read, too, actually. (laughs) Ellen Hildebrand, A Summer Affair. You can buy it at Amazon.com. You can buy it at Barnes & Noble, bookstores everywhere. Website to go to because we've got about 30 seconds left. Okay, no, I don't have my own website yet. That's on my my list of things to do. Because you have nothing else to do, so do a website. I know, right. Ellen, great talking to you this morning. Oh, great talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Ellen Hildebrand, A Summer Affair. Great, great book, ladies. Uh, We're going to take a short break right now. Lauren Beller, Catherine Zox, we'll be back in a few minutes. Thanks for joining us this morning on Voice America Women's Network. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Finally, radio that was made just for you. Voice America Women's Radio Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Four years old son, ready for the big leagues. Put your bat on, buddy. There you go, helmet. Silly head. Okay, that's right. Your thigh guards. Now don't forget your mouth guard. You don't want to be losing teeth in your first game. Well, they're baby teeth, but yeah, put it in it. Daddy. Don't let them worry you. They may be over 200 pounds and kind of mean looking, but you're ready for them. Just run through them. Here's the ball. Run. Daddy. Don't look at me. Run with it. Go, boy. Run. But I could get hurt. No pain, no gain. Now run. You wouldn't treat your child like an adult, so why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. Ah, you should have straight armed them. For more information, go to boosterseat.gov. This message brought to you by the Ag Council and the U.S. Department of Transportation. Talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Thanks for joining us this morning on Voice America Women's Network. Lauren Beller and Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. 
And joining us in this next half hour is B. Field. She's author of Millennial Leaders, Success Stories from Today's Most Brilliant Generation Y Leaders, and she's also a consultant for corporate leaders. And she has kind of, not kind of, she's touched on the topic that I talk, Lauren, we talk about on the show at least every other week. I am just like so into this topic, helicopter parents which have just kind of emerged over the last probably 10 years, maybe even the last five years. And B is an expert on helicopter parents hovering too closely over the workplace, which um, how are you this morning, B? We have you on the line, I think, now, don't we? Yes, I'm great, Catherine. It's wonderful to be here, and this is certainly a hot topic. It is. A, is it the last five or ten years? that these helicopter this, parents have been yes, covering. This, this whole phenomenon or, or the name actually emerged in the early, the early part of this millennium around 2002, 2003, when parents began calling admissions offices complaining that their child did not get into the college of their choice or calling departments about roommate disputes and so academia named them the helicopter parents. So they yeah. were hovering that's when I became familiar, and B, that's when I became familiar with it, with, with, the, with the, in the college thing, where I would find my friends, you know, the kids would have problems with their roommates. So my girlfriends were calling on the phone or even going up to the college, things that when I was in college, I don't know about you, I handled on my own. I, you know, decided what I was going to do if I stayed in the room with the roommate, whatever it was. My mother and father didn't come to assist me either by phone or even in person. No, I, I mean, I, I'm the same. I am a baby boomer, and I have parents who dropped me off for college. I think they came to visit one time each semester for a weekend just to go to lunch or entertain, but they never got in the way of anything I did, never got into any kind of disputes, said you're on your own, handle it, it's going to help you grow, and uh, the situation is much, much, much different today. Yeah, it, it does help you grow. I think it helps you to be more independent and autonomous on one level. But there are some, I guess, pluses to the thing, and we're going to get to that. One, but before we do get to the workplace, I just want to do the college thing because that kind of segues into the workplace, the helicopter parents. But one of the things, colleges tend to encourage that by, for instance, I know with my three boys in college, and they went to, like, you know, Ivy League schools, those kinds of schools, they have these parents' weekend things, which we mm-hmm. never had. So they get the parents are coming three weeks after you've been in school because they don't start school till October anyway, mm-hmm. and two, three weeks later your parents are there. So you right. never really make the break, and they want you to be there. So they start kind of, I think they kind of push parents into that role at the colleges and the universities. They do, and this is also a response to so many questions and so many phone calls. They're trying to get away from having so many phone calls coming into their college campuses because they can't handle the number of phone calls coming in from parents. So they're now now offering a parent orientation, which is new to me, but my, I have college-age kids, and I've been to two orientations with, with my kids. Then they have parents' weekends, not just once, but sometimes twice each semester. Parents get all sorts of information from colleges, and colleges are actually now recruiting parents. They're sending recruitment letters to parents and, and really helping to get them involved by having a parent-only website and all sorts of things for parents. So Is that be because they want parents to ultimately, it's all about money, and they want them to contribute monies, and they feel if they're involved and connected to the college and university where their kid is there, that they'll be more apt to, you know, to, to, to give to the university? That, and also they know that many parents at the end of the day are the ones who are making the decisions about where their children go to school. 
and that that also is new. A lot of parents are actually spending way too much time, I think, online choosing a college for their child. And, and writing the essays for their child. I can't writing tell the you essays, how making sure that the resume is all intact, going online and choosing their courses. It, it's just it's just really incredible. So what both in, both college admissions departments and even employer, employers have realized is if they want these top superstar students, they've got to get to the parents. Are there superstar students? Because you're, I mean, you're right in the middle of it. But aren't? What about the superstar stu, superstar students who don't do that, who do it on their own, who are independent, who can maintain their own autonomy or separation from their parents? Because the title of my show today is emotional boundaries, being able to kind of keep their own emotional boundaries. Do you think they have a better chance of being successful and getting ahead ultimately 10, 15 years down the pike? I do, and I think that if. You know, Catherine, I'm, I'm a coach, so one of the things I always come come to with coaching is if if you want to work with a coach, you've got to make that decision. You've got to make your investment in that decision. When a parent makes a decision for the adult child, then that child is always going to wonder what would life have, have been like if I had been able to make my own decision. And so there's a lot of regret and I wonder and I wish, and, and very often it, it can end up being very disappointing for that child if they're put into an academic environment that's not well suited for them. Also, there is the uh, famous psychologist or psychiatrist, I think he's still in Philadelphia, Martin Siegelman, learned helplessness. And isn't that 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 concept of teaching our kids, they learn to be helpless. They learn that when they have a problem, they have to call mom or dad. I have a friend whose kid does that now, smart, and has nothing to do with cognitive abilities. Yeah, no, 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 no. It it definitely is something that I have to say the parents are responsible for creating because for some reason, somewhere along the way, Catherine, a lot of parents have come to the conclusion that their kids can't make decisions and they can't live as an adult in an adult world. And they continue to do things. Even I, I was out shopping one day and I ran into a mom of someone that has a 24-year-old son, and she was grocery shopping for him. And her cart was overflowed with all this stuff, and I knew that it was just she and her husband. I was like, oh, you must be having a party. Oh, no, I'm shopping for, you know, named his name. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, I just, it just really, really floors me. Yeah, but, so you know, is, and I think that's do but your them, story, the your story, B, is repeated over and over again. I have a similar story, and it had one of my friends. I mean, she has, I think this, her kid is almost 30 years old. Not only finding the apartment for him, but going out and shopping for the apartment. For mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, there's another issue here, I think, that the parents don't, think or there's something about they not wanting their kids to ever feel uncomfortable and uh, uncomfortable stuff and tension and ambivalence is what drives us sometimes to make really good choices or to explore our choices so that if everything is just all set for you you don't have the opportunity to uh, experience the ambivalence and I think that's why later on adults sometimes and we're starting to see it they get depressed they get upset they can't they can't cope with ambivalence or making their own choices Right, or they can't cope with anything not being rosy. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's not that, I think it's that the parents don't want to feel uncomfortable about watching their kids fail. I think that's what it is. Parents don't want to feel responsible or feel uncomfortable when they see their kids make a decision 
that they think is not in their best interest or that's going to hurt them. But the reality is is that we learn by the mistakes that we make. There was actually a study done at the Center for Creative Leadership that says that about 55 to 60% of our learning happens as a byproduct of hardship and making mistakes. So when, when an adult child makes a decision that may not turn out like mom and dad thought it was supposed to turn out, they're going to learn from that. The chances of them making that mistake again go way down once they make the mistake. Another thing, and I want to add to that piece, I think in particular when kids are, let's say, in we haven't gotten past college, but that's okay because we're talking about decision-making and being autonomous and acting on your own. But I think that sometimes when kids call up and ask their parents answers to questions like roommate stuff or uh what courses to take. Parents are making decisions based, they really don't have all the information. It was very different when the kid was home and in high school and you and part of your environment and living in your house, but their parents are also helping them to make these decisions without actually all the information that they need, mm-hmm. and that's not good either. Right. You hear that one side and you have no idea what went on on the other side, and there's always two sides to every dispute. And also, I see a lot of parents trying to make decisions for their kids based on the decisions they made in their own lives back in the 60s and 70s. And times are really different now, and young adults have got to make decisions based on what's going on in the world today, not what was happening two decades ago. So you have, and we can just skip, jump, well, segue, we're not skipping, we're kind of segueing into helicopter parents in the workplace because it just carries on through the workplace. So what should parents be doing rather than telling their kids what to do in the work? You know, frame it for us. What are they doing in the workplace and what, how can they be more helpful by not being hovering over their kids? Right. Well, this really goes back, Catherine, to looking at the academic environment because parents start getting involved in the whole job interview and placement process in college. Many go to job fairs on their own without their children, and they go around talking to employers, and then they start working to try to help their children get internships. So they'll call their friends or call the company and say, I'm sending you a resume on my child for an internship. And what happens after that is, of course, they want to show up for the job interview, and they are. They're going with their kids to the job interview. And then once the child is hired, if they don't get a good review or if work is boring, then they'll go to the HR department and complain. And this is a brand-new phenomenon for HR directors on how do we address this. So they're now doing some of the things colleges are doing by giving tours of the organization and having a parent-only website and allowing conference calls for parents to come in and ask questions about the company. And that's happening more and more often. As a matter of fact, a study by the Collegiate Employment Research Institute said that about 41% of parents are actually doing some kind of helicopter parenting around the whole job interview process. They're involved in some way. Well, B, what about this? I mean, do you think the parents do this part, they're motivated, they don't want to see their kids fail, but then also they feel like they have so much information and let's say their next-door neighbor has all this, they don't want to, they're competing also with their friends and their friends' kids. So if they see their friends doing it and their friends getting these, say, plum or great jobs for their children, you mm-hmm. feel as a parent, well, I should be doing the same thing rather than just let your kid try to, you know, do it himself or herself. Yeah, it's really easy to fall in that trap because I've been in that situation. As a young parent, I really didn't know what I was doing at age 28, and I was watching what my friends were doing, and I fell into the trap short term, and then I woke up one day and thought, I'm not going to do what 
everyone else is doing. And my kids think that I'm an ogre because they don't have a new car and because I make them do their laundry and chores. And what a like, nasty oh, my mother. friends don't have to do that, <laughs> and my friends have a new car. And I'm like, well, you know what? We're not everybody else. Yeah, you are um, who you are. You know, we're gonna, I'd like to have you come back if you can stay with us a few minutes because we do have to take a short break. Yeah, sure. um, B-Fields, because we... We didn't. We need to talk about what we can do, the good stuff that parents can do rather than hovering over their children. But uh, we have B. Fields, who is a corporate consultant. She's author of Millennial Leaders, and we're talking about helicopter parents hovering too closely over the workplace. Uh, don't go away. You're listening to Lauren Beller and Catherine Zox on Voice America Women's Network Channel. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Are the days passing by faster than you can believe? Do your kids, job, pets, family, errands, and life demands leave no time left for you? Listen to Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum each week. You can have it all, balance it, and truly enjoy your life. Be ready to have fun, laugh, and learn from celebrities and everyday heroes. We don't need an entire life overhaul, just a little bit of tweaking for our lives to be what we want. Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum, every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Women's Network. Your life is waiting for you. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice. What if something happens? Will you come get me? Should I stay where I am and wait for you? Or go to Grandma's house? Should it's closer? Should only pick a place for me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? How do we keep in touch with each other if the phones don't work? Should I be worried how we all get home? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zoff Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Sotcher, social worker with a microphone, Voice America Women's Network with Lauren Beller. And Lauren and I are talking to B. Fields, author of Millennial Leaders. And this morning we have been discussing helicopter parents in the workplace. Uh, Lauren, do you have any specific question you want to ask B. before we get through these five tips for helicopter parents, things to do in a better way? B's going to talk to us about so that you're not hovering over your kids when they're in the workplace or applying for a job. I love that you asked me that question, Catherine. I have been sitting here saying helicopter parenting can't start when kids are going to college. It's got to start when they're born. So here I am with a a two-and-a-half-year-old saying, 
I wonder what the two, what the parent, that's a helicopter parent, how they treat the two and a half year old, and I wonder if she has any thoughts on that. B, do you? Yes, it start. It does start very early. You're absolutely right, and it starts with the major, big, big birthday party at about age two, where tons and tons of people come to the party. There's a lot of attention showered over the child, and to be honest, the resume starts getting built at that age. Uh, parents start really looking at education options very early now, and by the time that child is in kindergarten, they're starting to build the resume. And what you will see very often are parents who are competing with each other to try to get their child into the best preschool at age three or four. And then when kindergarten starts, of course, they want the best school, and they want to show up for the first two weeks and stand outside of the classroom making sure that child is not going to be hurt or cry or be upset. Or someone is nasty to them, you don't want, they, uh, which is, I guess, what you're saying. And then mm-hmm. don't you think it gets into, as they start getting past the kindergarten and the elementary school, parents start doing their homework for the kids or doing their projects for the kids, the science projects. Yes. We have, we have been in the middle of that quite a bit, and it's, it's always been really interesting to go to science fairs and to watch projects because our kids look like their age, and then you would see these incredible projects or reports that you knew had an adult influence. Yeah, and, and you can tell, I mean, B and Lauren, I have to say, when I used to go to the middle school fair, the science fair, we, my boys and I would laugh because you, you knew whose father was an architect because that kid had the best architectural rendition of whatever building. You knew whose father was a doctor because it was all a biology thing. I mean, you really could pick out who mm-hmm. the parents were and what their occupations were, were mm-hmm. profession, right? Yes, and, you know, having been through the college application process, I've seen a few resumes that were written by English teacher parents, and uh, my son came home with this really incredible essay for one of his applications, and I was like, this is really great. And I thought, you didn't do this. <laughs> and uh, he had tried to slip one in on me. I said, you're not turning this in. You're going to write it yourself. Yeah, and you knew your kid. You knew your child. So, you know, mm-hmm. the admi- and you have to also, the, the, uh, to me, the admissions people were reading thousands of these. They also can tell the difference, or maybe at least 95% of the time. Okay, so that it starts like, Lauren, that you're so right. I mean, it starts when they're two. That's when they start building the resume and, and jumping on the bandwagon for their kids. But, okay, B, so what? instead of that, what do you do? I mean, how do you help your kid without hovering? I do think that parents play a role in this whole employment process because of our wisdom and knowledge. Parents are going to, first of all, know quite a bit about how to look at a total compensation package in relationship to the cost of living in that city. And I think that that's an opportunity for parents to give their wisdom and insight to that adult child to let them know exactly what their lifestyle is going to look like and to really sit there and go through that compensation package with them. Right. So be an outside advisor. You're not on the inside, an but you're on the advisor. outside. Do not go into the workplace. Do not show up for the interview. Do not call the HR department. Because what you're doing is you're sending the message to the employer that your adult child cannot function in an adult environment in the workplace. And that is a really big red flag to employers. So you think that you're helping, but you're actually hurting your child's chances of getting the job. So what about practicing interviews with them? I was good at that because I like to talk, radio, acting, that kind of thing. Is that a good thing to do with your kid? Absolutely, especially with someone like your background. And I, I tell parents that one of the things that you can do is to interview your child and then give your child feedback because Gen Y loves a lot of feedback. Now, sometimes it's a little bit tougher coming from the parent. 
But the thing that also is really fun is to put that Gen Y in the place of the employer interviewing you because playing that role will have them begin to see what's going on in the mind of the interviewer, and then you can talk about that at the end if your child's open. If your child's not really open to doing that with you, you might ask a friend or someone who's been experienced with employment processes to come in and work with them on that. Yeah. Or even an older sibling or cousin or family member who they don't feel too, you know, there's not all this emotional stuff that gets in the way like parents right. and child. Absolutely. I can see the kid blowing up and <laughs> or the mother or father or partner, whoever it is, leaving. Okay, mm-hmm. so, what else? What else can we do that we can do that's outside the workplace but is going to be really helpful? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I talk about wardrobe a lot because Gen Y has a very laid-back, casual wardrobe, and they're very accustomed to going to almost any event, even something formal, in a much more casual dress. And I do think casual attire is appropriate for certain situations, but for a job interview, you want to dress according to the culture. So if that culture is coat and tie or if the culture is business casual, then that's a way that parents can get involved by helping your child pick out something for the interview. And if they need something extra, maybe you can loan them something or you can buy a new pair of shoes or something. But that that is certainly something that I think Gen Y is asking for help around, saying, what should I wear to this interview? All right, so what about this? You're talking about clothes, which you can change. You can have a varying wardrobe depending on what kind of job you want to be. But what about... The tattoos, what about the color of your your orange hair, or mm-hmm. even rings in your toes and nose and tongue? How do you handle that? Well, those really honestly should be covered up for the interview, and parents need to encourage that as much as possible. Now, I've talked to parents who have said their child went into the interview with a tattoo exposed even after their advice was given. And we have to understand that there we still have Gen X and baby boomers and some traditionalists interviewing Gen Y, and they are not real keen on a lot of piercings and tattoos and red hair and blue hair, whatever. (laughs) So, you know, once again, it's like when in Rome do as the Romans do. You've yeah, that's what I did for the college the thing, B. I, I had the, what, my one son who ended up get, going to Brown, and at the time, you know, and he was also a drummer in school and a percussionist, and I think his, I don't know if his hair was green or blue, whatever it was, you know, but, you know, straight A's and 700s on his board. They said, you're not going to sabotage this interview. You know, your hair has to be a natural color. The minute you get into college, it can be orange or purple. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And he did it, and it was fine. And he got into the school of his choice. Uh, but I, I think... So I did the right thing. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I mean, you, you want the best for your child in that situation. And if, if they know exactly why, I always tell people with Gen Y, they want to know why. They always ask that question. So if you can tell them that I really want the best chances for you and the best chance for you is going to be to get your hair natural color, dress traditionally, cover up the tattoo, and I think you'll get the job if you do that, then they're going to be more open than to – just your personal opinion about the hair and the tattoo and the piercing. Yeah, I did have a little resistance, and maybe other parents have this too. It's like, this is who I am. I can't. I have to be who I am, and if I'm not, <laughs> then I'm fooling them, and I'm not being authentic, and you know, you get that kind of a response too. Right. All right. Last. And, and employer, yeah. Employers, we even tell you, hey, we don't care that you have a tattoo. We just don't want to see it in the workplace. We All don't right. care that you have the tattoo. Just cover it up while you're here. One minute till closing. What are we going to say? What's the last bit of advice you want to give to these helicopter or potential helicopter parents in the workplace? B-Fields. 
our adult children are so much more capable than we give them credit for, and I just encourage anyone that's listening to this audio or this interview to resist the urge to get involved and micromanage your child's employment or their college admission process and let them let them learn from the mistakes that they make. Great and Lauren, see, you you have a two-year-old. You've got it all right here in this whole show. B told you the whole thing, so there's no excuse for you to be a helicopter parent ever. <laughs> no excuse at all. It's okay, ladies, we have to say goodbye. It was great talking to you. And uh, B Fields, author of Millennial Leaders, you can buy that book, uh, bookstores everywhere, online, Amazon.com. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone with Lauren Beller, and we've been talking to B Fields this morning. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week. 